Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent from FT Money, and I'm here with my colleagues Steve Lodge. Hello. And Richard Anderson. Hello. Good to see you both again, and together we're going to be uh, bringing you the weekly financial lowdown in downloadable form. So, Richard, what's coming up in this week's programme? Exchange-traded funds uh, in uncertain markets, like we have now. We look at what kinds of low-cost tracker investments you can buy and tax returns. We're just a week to go before the deadline. That's if you want the revenue to calculate your bill for you. We give you some planning tips and we end up with good news, bad news for First Direct customers. Thanks, Richard. And remember, you can send in your financial questions for us to answer by emailing us at ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. But first, this week's money news. After a week that's seen Northern Rock customers take to the pavements to stage the first ever run on a UK bank for over 160 years and the government forced to guarantee depositors' money, savings accounts are unlikely to ever be the same again. So, as the dust settles and all those sleeping bags are folded away, what does the future hold for bank savers and bank investors. Steve, it's, it's been a really long week, hasn't it? It certainly has, and real volatility in this whole story. Where we are now, though, we've got a guarantee from the government for savers who were with Northern Rock, but also savers who withdrew their money in the run, who now put it back. What we don't have, though, it's slightly curious guarantee, we don't have a guarantee for new deposits into Northern Rock. So talk that people should now bank with Northern Rock, save with Northern Rock, because it's the safest bank in the country isn't quite right. And and probably still the advice stands that uh, if you're there, you're virtually certain to be safe now. But if you want to move your money just so that you can sleep easier, then stick with the bigger names, the ones that can't be allowed to fail in the future, if any bank should fail in the future. So this guarantee that applies to existing Northern Rock customers or those who had accounts and are putting it back in, that's a 100% guarantee. So it's much better than the compensation scheme that used to exist. Yes, indeed. It is, although Northern Rock hadn't failed when the government stepped in. So it's true it's a guarantee. It does cover your interest as well. And Northern Rock itself is saying it will cover any penalties you suffered 
if you withdrew your money during that dreadful panic at the beginning of the week over last weekend. So it's as good as it gets, really. So if you're an existing saver, then you've got some quite attractive interest rates, and now you do have this guarantee. But if you're an investor in Northern Rock shares, you've seen the value of your holding absolutely plummet, haven't you? Value of your holdings plummeted maybe 75% from this year's high. In addition, there are no guarantees of what happens now. Are you going to lose even more money? Or will there be a bid for Northern Rock? Will that bid be at something of a premium to the, the recent low share price? Or could you end up with virtually nothing for your shares? Or indeed holding shares worth virtually nothing? And it's all going to depend on uh, who comes in with a bid and what level that bid might be at. Richard, any rumours in the market as to who might be circling? Well, Lloyds and HSBC are supposedly having a look, but I imagine that uh, all the big names will be doing the same. A bank with so many customers and such a large mortgage book at, uh, at a cheap price, then yeah, everyone's going to be interested. And if you're an investor who doesn't hold shares yet but is looking to possibly get in, uh, an opportunist play, if, if you like, it's going to be all about timing and the risks are going to be quite high. Indeed. I mean, the best hope here is you end up with something of a bidding war, whether for existing investors or people who's, who, as you say, are speculators who think the share price might rise. The danger is there is no premium at all in this takeover. So that would be an extremely risky play. However, if you're an existing shareholder, what else can you do? You can either hang on and wait for something or you can sell now. Well, it sounds like there's certainty for savers, but continued uncertainty for investors. Steve and Richard, thanks very much indeed. Still to come in the programme, last-minute tax planning tips before the September 30th deadline and some good news and bad news on First Direct accounts. But first, exchange-traded funds. Richard, why are these low-cost tracker investments in the news this week? Basically, ETFs have been actually around for, for quite a long time, but largely because they don't actually pay any commission to financial advisors. They've not proved that popular. That's slowly beginning to change. There's now well over 100 listed on, on the LSE, and there have been some really interesting new issues just recently. Uh, for example, a South African ETF and some of the first so-called enhanced ETFs, which don't just track indices but actually invest in shares chosen according to fundamentals. John McLeod of Investors Chronicle went to speak with Stephen Barber, head of research at Self-Trade, to find out more. So Stephen, the ETF range in the UK has taken off over the last year. Could you explain why that is? Yes, I mean, I think that's right. As you know, ETFs have actually been around for quite a long time now. Uh, the first was issued in the United States back in 1993, and we've had them here in London since 2000. And they've always been popular with, with Self-Trade customers, and I think we've always thought them an attractive uh, proposition and, and made investors aware of the, the benefits. But you're quite right that they haven't been quite as widespread in their use as their qualities suggest. Until recently, there's been a, just a single issue in Barclays Global uh, in London. And I can tell you that by the end of 2005, uh, London attracted just 14 of the 234 European uh, ETFs. And I think that's changed this year for two principal reasons. Firstly, USITS 3, the undertakings in collective investments and transferable securities, which is a, an EU regulatory change, uh, which came into force in the end of February this year, has given ETFs greater uh, flexibility. Uh, but perhaps more significantly, uh, last year in 2006, in his pre-budget report, the Chancellor, or the then-Chancellor, Gordon Brown, uh, scrapped stamp duty on non-residential ETFs. And that means, of course, well, as investors, we don't pay stamp duty on buying ETFs, but it does make a difference for the funds within them. 
and it's made London a much more attractive place to list exchange-traded funds. And so with that change, I think we've, we will now see a, a lot more issuers coming to London. We've also already seen two significant ones in Lixor uh, and Deutsche Bank, and no doubt we'll see more and more ETFs listed. And so will this increase competition, bring down charges? Yes, well, I mean, already we've seen a, a, an increase in, in competition. With London being a more competitive place to list ETFs, it means that there'll be more uh, ETF issuers. Barclays Global has had a, a, a total expense ratio of about 40 basis points on uh, on its funds. The newer ones we can see coming to London are now much lower, around about 30 basis points. And, and competition will inevitably be a good thing. I ha- had a quick look at them this morning, and if you look across Europe, in Germany they can be as low as 15 basis points, uh, which is a, I mean, a very competitive, very low uh, charge. But even at the high end, of, you know, we're talking about 40 basis points, that compares very favourably to um, other collective schemes. But, of course, these are only trackers. They're not actively managed funds in most cases. So th- these are tracker funds, and you could use them in, in sort of for asset allocation and taking exposure to different sectors and so on. The beauty of a, an ETF is that it tracks particular indices or uh, geographical sectors or industrial sectors. Um, so it ranges from FTSE 100, 250 through Euro stocks, uh, you look at the, the Americas, Asia, um, you could even look at property, more specialist in terms of, of water or infrastructure, and bond funds, the lot. So it, it really ena- enables you to asset allocate, to uh, build a diversified portfolio. And SPA have now launched the first enhanced ETFs in the UK. These use a form of active management, is that right? These uh, what the so-called fundamental ETFs, and rather than selecting an established index, um, you know, whether that's a, you know, a market cap indice, so like a, a FTSE 100 or an S&P, they use share indices based on fundamental factors such as um, earnings or, or, or dividend or cash flow. And what they're intending with these issues is that they're more attractive to the more active investor who might think traditional indices are, are perhaps not priced efficiently. Uh, and it really allows you to, to um, get a more specialised uh, exposure to these sorts of equities without simply buying the index. But, uh, of course, what you've got to be careful about is that they continue to meet investors' ongoing needs, and the fundamental index could be seen as more faddish, but I think they'd be very attractive to a, a more active investor. And at the moment, you've got a special offer where there's free dealing in, 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 in ISAs. Yes, I mean, we've had a, uh, a special offer running since these products launched in London back in 2000. Uh, and the offer is simply that customers pay no purchase commission on exchange-traded funds within an ISA or a PEP. And that applies to all London-listed, uh, sterling-listed products. And, and certainly that, that offer, which has been running for several years now, will certainly last until the, the end of this year. We see ETFs used not simply in ISAs and PEPs, though, we see a lot of them used in, in SIPs, uh, self-invested personal pensions. And that means where, that even uh, passive or less sophisticated investors can build and manage a diversified portfolio. It means that you can get good growth and manage risk. But it also means that those that, that have already built, a, say, a, a European or, or a UK diversified portfolio can gain exposure to certain geographical sectors uh, internationally that they might want that where they 
perhaps won't feel quite so confident stock picking or, or indeed specific industrial sectors where they want to get particular exposure to that, that sector without having to pick a specific stock. And so we see them used a lot in managing uh, long-term investments such as SIPs. OK, Stephen, thanks for explaining that. That was John McLeod talking to Stephen Barber at Self Trade. And for more on exchange-traded funds, visit investorschronicle.co.uk. Coming up, we still have good news and bad news for First Direct customers. Before that, though, tax returns. Now, um, Steve, it's coming to that time of year again, isn't it? Yes, yawn, tax deadline time again. This one, the 30th of September. Get your return into the revenue and they'll do the tax calculation for you. Hoorah! However, it's something of an artificial deadline. The real deadline is still the end of January. And if you're filing online, then... You can still file to the 31st January and amazingly this computer system calculates all for you. So really this is for paper and pen people. However, a lot of experts still say that the 30 September's deadline is still worth considering if you're a paper and pen person because up to a third of people still make mistakes on their tax returns. So Elaine Moore from FT Money phoned Leonie Kurzweil of PwC, the, the big accountancy firm, for some last-minute tips. Sunday, September 30th is the latest deadline for self-assessment tax. Why is this date important? Well, this is going to be a key date for people who fill in tax returns manually because if they want HMRC to calculate the tax they owe for the year or they want any underpayments collected through a PAYE notice of coding, then they need to get their returns in by that date to make sure the revenue will do that for them. When do people have to pay their tax by? The key date for 2006-2007 is 31st of January next year. So by the end of January next year, all outstanding tax for the tax year just gone has to have been paid. And actually, if it isn't paid by the 28th of February 2008, taxpayers are going to face a 5% automatic penalty based on the amount of tax still outstanding. And are there any other dates that people need to remember in the tax year? Yeah, there's two dates, one of which I think a lot of people don't know about, and that's October the 5th, 2007. And that's a critical date for people who perhaps for the first time are coming into the tax net and haven't had a tax return sent to them by HMRC because on the 5th of October or by the 5th of October, they should have notified the revenue that they have a liability to tax. And that can be quite expensive if they get that wrong because if they have a liability to tax... Um, and then don't pay the tax by next January, you could actually be facing a penalty of the amount of tax unpaid. The second date that people need to remember is the 30th of December, so slap bang during the Christmas holidays, when if you're filing your tax return online, that's the last date to make sure that any underpayment of tax is collected through your PAYE coding notice. And then, of course, the 31st of January next year is the final cut-off date for everyone, however they file, to get their tax returns in. And how are the deadlines changing next year? The main change is for people who file um, tax returns manually is that they need to now file them by the 31st of October. Um, if you're filing online, then the filing date will stay at the 31st of January. That was Leonie Kurzweil of PwC. And for a beginner's guide to tax returns, read this week's FT Money out on the 22nd of September. 
And finally today, it's good news, bad news. And Richard, I hear there's a bit of both, a bit of mixed news, in fact, for First Direct customers. There is, yeah. Unbelievably, First Direct have come out and announced that they are no longer paying any interest on current accounts. Which is quite amazing, given some of the high rates we're seeing from, uh, from other providers. It is. I mean, it's an incredible move on one level. Obviously, uh, you always expect to get a return on your money when you, when you put it in cash, especially when inflation's basically eroding it. In practice, it probably doesn't make that much difference. Most of the rates you get on current accounts are pretty poor. I mean, most people probably don't even know it, but they're being paid less than 1%. But still, it's something. So to actually come out and say, we're not going to pay you anything, is, uh, is pretty unusual. Very bad news indeed. I suppose the only good news is that there are some accounts out there that are paying some quite competitive rates. Uh, If you were a First Direct customer, where would you be heading for some good news? I'd certainly be heading elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, some of the rates on the market are actually surprisingly good. These are on current accounts. Obviously, you, you might expect such a high rate on a savings account. But for a current account, you can get... And unbelievable, really, 6.31% from Alliance and Leicester. You can also get 6% or above from Halifax and Coventry Building Society. And 4, 4.5%, even from Lloyd's, who uh, aren't known for paying the best rates, and Nationwide Norwich. So there are some good rates out there for current accounts. Some good news, then, for First Direct customers looking to take their custom elsewhere. Richard, thanks very much. And uh, that's all for this week's FT Money Show. Uh, Remember, you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. And we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me as well. And it's goodbye from our podcast producers, Lee Barracuda. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.